It's these very great and special, precious, indeed promises, we'll be looking at some of today. If you'd like to open with me, Genesis chapter 48. I think I'm going to go ahead and read the whole chapter. I thought of just doing part, but more is better, right? (laughs) When it comes to God's word, more is better. Here then God's inspired, infallible, holy, complete, preserved, effective for our sanctification word. Beginning at verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a multitude of people and give you this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine, as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring, who you beget after them, shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. Now the eyes of, I'm sorry, next verse, 11. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will bless, saying, my God, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. All God's people said, 
Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word, for the opportunity we have to read it day by day, for the unique opportunity on this, your special day in seven, the Lord's Day, to look into it, to inquire of it. May you uh, open it to us, guide us by the light of your Holy Spirit, that we would behold wonderful things in your law, that we would be conformed to it and see your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what truly a precious scene this is, where we are able to observe as a fly on the wall, as it were, by the inspiration of the Holy Scripture, to have recorded this unique moment between the patriarch Jacob and his beloved son Joseph and his two grandsons. But these are not merely sentimental words, not merely a small family gathering that we get a special look into. With divine insight, and that is the inspiration of the narrator who uh, wrote these details, guiding Moses' pen long ago. So we know the words expressed here are the thoughts and intents of a heart devoted to the Lord, trusting in his sovereign power to bring it to pass. Recalls the author of Hebrews in chapter 11 who wrote, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. That's what it's referring to here in Hebrews, is chapter 48 in Genesis. So by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. The events recorded here for us are a statement of faith, acts of faith from the patriarch Jacob. So as we look into this passage, let us see here not merely the ancient arrangements of family succession, not simply the sentiments of an old man facing death, who, yes, with a full and loving heart, loves his son and grandsons. This is that all of that, but also it is the testimony of a man of faith who pleased God and is moved here by his Holy Spirit. Uh, you'll notice in your outlines, I don't think I printed enough copies, so look on with a neighbor if need be, and note there's also a second side to it. But you notice I put a fair amount of descriptive detail uh, for each verse. Uh, though I, and partly on purpose, I made that uh, detail there because I won't necessarily be saying it all. And also I'm going to be, Lord willing, filling in some of the lines, uh, between, between the lines as it were, in order to... Uh, provide some useful explanations, perhaps, some applications for us, yet I don't want us to get lost in the trees and miss the forest. So with the three numbered bold points, as well as the title there for you, I want us to remember the big picture, which is blessing. We'll see some details of this blessing, some historical context of this blessing, some pre-context of the blessing, the implications of the blessing, but let us not lose our focus, our overall picture of blessing. Jacob blessed Joseph by blessing Ephraim and Manasseh. This is a blessing we indeed can even enter into, as it's worded in verse 20, may God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. And may God now give us illumination as we endeavor to learn more about this blessing. But before we do get to some of these details, <clears throat> I want us to just briefly consider by way of introduction, a few uh, facets, looking at scripture as a whole, about blessings in general, just three key things. One key principle is stated also in Hebrews chapter seven, the lesser is blessed by the better, or translated the inferior, blessed by the superior. Whether it be the Lord blessing his people or a father blessing his children, or in this situation, grandchildren, there is an inherent hierarchy at work. That's what we see here. Jacob is the greater, 
blessing the lesser. Also, blessing is something we should earnestly desire, not come too casually or rotely or you know, with a kind of meh attitude. Recall Jacob's wrestling at nighttime <clears throat> and the, that, the end of that wrestling match. Uh, it's in chapter 32. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. With all his energy, even unto an injury, he would continue until he received that blessing. Jacob was relentless in the pursuit of blessing. Let us be the same, right? Let us be encouraged here as Jacob so generously offers the blessing to his offspring. And third overview note on the topic of blessing, we must note that the Lord is the source of all blessing. We sing this in the doxology regularly, praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's not just the words of man. Uh, James worded those sentiments in uh, chapter 1. He says, every good and perfect gift comes from heaven above. Verse 16 in our text here refers to the angel of God, that he is the one who blessed Jacob with multiplied herds when he worked for Laban, who appeared to him at Bethel with a latter dream and promised to bless him with people and with land. So God is the source of all blessing. So those Three, very broad, and others could be added. And if one was to do a topical study of blessing from the Bible, we could go on for hours, probably a Kaiser 20-point sermon, but uh, just those to suffice for now. So the key point now is that Jacob blessed Joseph by blessing Ephraim and Manasseh. So let's get into the text. Our first section, verses 1 through 7, as I've titled, Preface to Blessing. Some of this, the inspired narrator is preparing the scene. Other parts of it is Jacob preparing the scene. Jacob giving context for the blessing he wants to give. So verse 1. This sets the scene within the course of the previous events. If we haven't been reading all the way through Genesis, we're going to come to this and be like, well, what, where are we in the story? And so this is after Joseph settled his family in Goshen. It's after he brought his father Jacob to Pharaoh, after he managed the affairs of the country during the good time and the famine years, after Jacob solemnly made Joseph swear not to bury him in Egypt. After all of those things, we come now to Jacob being sick and Joseph being formed of his father's illness unto death. It is interesting that Joseph did, well, sorry, what he did, and also what is not recorded here, at least insofar as what we have written. He didn't utilize the full measure of his privileges in Egypt to marshal all of the medical staff to arrange the best health care possible to prolong his father's life, at least as far as we know. It's not here in the inspired record. Uh, he didn't spend hours Googling, as it were, what to find, what alternate methods might be able to extend his father's life to help him recover. What he did do, what the Holy Spirit does record here for us, is him going to visit him, to pay that personal visit and bringing with him, importantly, his two sons. So while he may have done those other things, we aren't told. We don't want to go beyond scripture and say, absolutely, he didn't do those things. Well, we do know he didn't Google alternate methods. But um, what we are told is what we can focus on. Uh, we are told the truly important, enduring, and covenantally significant things that he did do. He prepared to receive his father's blessing. He knew his father was God's man for that generation. He knew it was wise for his sons to see a godly man facing death and to hear the testimony of such a faithful man. In this actual situation, Manasseh and Ephraim did hear the testimony verbally, 
and we'll get to some points of this testimony shortly. I want us to remember that we are not lacking just because we weren't in the room there with him hearing the words audibly. We are not lacking in our generation because we don't have God speaking through prophets, the patriarch Jacob in his day. We have the testimony recorded for us in the scripture. And it's wise for us to review this testimony with ourselves frequently, lest we might not forget it, also with our children regularly, as well as having them visit the aged and dying when opportunity arises. So let us be encouraged. We do have the words of God. He speaks to us in the scriptures. Here, Manasseh and Ephraim had the words of God being spoken to them directly through their grandfather. Moving on to verse 2. Here it was Joseph, uh, we are told, coming, so he collected his, sorry, Jacob, uh, was told that Joseph was coming, and so he collected, he gathered his strength, as it's worded, to receive these visitors. Truly, in times of illness, unless one is uh, unaware of the situation going on with them, it is encouraging to have visitors. Uh, Based on what follows, I believe Jacob was a man on a mission. He knew what lay ahead. He did not want to miss the moment. He was resolute to convey to Joseph this blessing. And as the opportunity approached, he gained strength to meet the moment. And this is a key evidence of the faith spoken to in Hebrews 11.21 that I quoted earlier. Faith has hope, not despair, right? But as he approached uh, this trial, uh, the trial of maybe the discomfort of death, the illness that he was facing, he approached it with a Romans 5 mindset knowing that tribulations produce a good result, Romans 5.4. He was hopeful that God's promises would continue to be manifest on into the future, and he knew that Joseph, by way of Ephraim and Manasseh, was part of that future. That is a true faith-filled hope that does not disappoint, right? Verse 3, this begins Jacob's verbal testimony. I don't know about you, but I often automatically and a little casually, without thinking that others might not know what I'm talking about, use the word testimony. Uh, It becomes a bit of a Christian speak to share your testimony. But think for a moment what that really means. In a court of law, somebody is called to give testimony. They describe what they know, what they saw, or what they heard. And that is certainly the case here. Jacob describes for Joseph and for Ephraim and Manasseh what he has seen what he has heard from God. And so he recounts a bit of that history uh, in the verses that follow. But in this verse, uh, adding to the fact that God appeared to me, the important point here is that it begins with God. And I like the emphasis in our brother's communion meditation. God appeared, right? Not some warm, fuzzy feeling. (laughs) God appeared. Decades later, this seminal event is still the forefront of Jacob's experience in his life. God appeared to him after he departed his parents' home. Remember the death threats from Esau after he had deceitfully acquired Isaac's blessing, Genesis chapter 28. After all of these things, he still remembers that God is the one who appeared to him. God spoke to him. God made the future known. And as I spoke earlier, let us not feel that we're in a diminished status just because God doesn't appear to us in that similar way. The truth of God's being and his promises is no less clear, no less sure to us. I would say it's more clear, more sure. 
we read in the opening words of Hebrews, God at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. In the last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The capstone of his revelation is for us. What Jacob looked forward to, we look back on and have other writers, Paul, Peter, etc., explaining to us. And so in the beginning of chapter two of Hebrews, it says, therefore, so what's the conclusion of Jesus being uh, the capstone of that revelation? Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. So friends, we now give earnest heed to the things we have heard. So let us pay close attention. The gospel writers wrote what they saw or heard. Paul wrote what he saw and heard and was told by God. Though we don't have God speaking to us in a physical appearing like Jacob had, he still speaks. His living word is powerful. He speaks by his son, the voice of the scriptures. So all that to say, Jacob saw it as very important to note that the blessing he conveyed to Joseph was the one that he received from God. God is the source of all blessings. Verse 4. Uh, here we see a short summary, then, of the blessings that God did give to Jacob. Uh, it's a blessing, two facets, of people and of land. Uh, Jacob had the opportunity in his lifetime to see that first one beginning to come to pass, to be fulfilled. He begat many more children than his father or grandfather had, but the land promise was still out of his grasp. Grasp. After all, of course, these events take place in Egypt. Not only is he not residing, or sorry, not possessing all of Canaan, he isn't even dwelling there. So it might seem that that one has failed. But Jacob is faithful and hopeful that it will come to pass in the future. This doesn't discourage Jacob. He knew there was a bigger picture at play, because indeed, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Again, Hebrews 11.1. 1. By faith, Jacob knew these promises, both of them, people and land, he knew they would be fulfilled. Partly, a hint of it in his generation, but all the more so in the future, and of course, completely, eventually. Moving on to verse 5. Here, Jacob adopts Joseph's sons. In doing so, and this is the purpose for the mentioning of his two other sons. He's really rebuking Reuben and Simeon, who lost the birthright because of their specific sins. And here he calls upon these grandsons to join the people of God. At this time, if I have the chronology right, uh, they're in their early 20s. Uh, they've come of age and needed to step up into their covenantal responsibilities. Hebrews 11:24 informs us, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son's son of Pharaoh's daughter. So Joseph's sons had come of age. They needed to not consider themselves Egyptians. They needed to identify with the people of God, their history past and their future. This is why we as a practice in our church, indeed throughout our denomination, have adult, young adults in the congregation make their covenant vows. They are moving from youth to adulthood and need to declare that they are on board, as it were. Uh, some people don't know who their God is. Recall Paul confronting in Athens the statue to the unknown God. Others reveal by their actions, here quoting from Philippians 3.19, that God is their belly, having their mind set on earthly things. But in this adoption, Jacob makes clear the calling 
that is on, on their lives. Do not be worldly. Do not have your belly or other lusts, other world, or earthly passions as your God. Forsake Egypt, all of her comforts, no doubt Manasseh and Ephraim enjoying in their father's household, number two in all of Egypt. Must have been a very comfortable lifestyle for that age. That needed to be set aside. All the more important was the covenant family. Uh, these words uh, in verse 5, I think, are echoed later by Isaiah in chapter 43. This is verse 1, I quote. Thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. So there it is, God's ownership of his people, uh, walking by his name. In the text here, it is uh, Jacob's name, the name of the patriarchs, later in the actual blessing itself, verses 15 and 16. But the ownership, the ownership of God, of the patriarchs, the ownership of the patriarch, Jacob, of these grandsons. I think for the sake of time, I'll skip verse 7, or verse 6, moving on to verse 7. In verse 7, uh, Jacob recounts some of the family history. Certainly, he did this uh, previously in verse 4, in telling what the blessing was when God appeared to him. But this is a bit more personal. Uh, I believe the recounting of the situation with Rachel is intended to reveal the keen eye that Jacob had for the land. As I mentioned before, the people promise had been, was beginning to be fulfilled. There was some visible progress, as it were, in growing as a nation, but the land promise less so. Yet Jacob affirms that the land promise is very much before his eyes. And he also affirms God's goodness in having granted him a foothold. He did have that bit of land where the tomb was, where he buried Rachel. So Jacob, affirming the land promise is real, he is wanting to have Joseph and the grandsons connect with that too, saying to them, really, this is where I've been. This is where I've come from. These are where your people are, even where they died. And to Joseph, his mother, it was his mother who had died there. So of course they would want to go back, right? It's where their mother, their grandmother, is buried. Now we move on to the second section, so the middle of the whole chapter, as I've marked it off, verses 8 through 16, which I have termed here the substance of the blessing. It's what was being prefaced in these early verses. We come now really to sort of more preface, uh, but then to the heart of it in verses 15 and 16. The blessing itself and, as uh, we've seen, the unique arrangement of it in terms of the hands. So verse 8, beginning with verse 8. Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, who are these? This could be a bit confusing because it says here that he saw Joseph's sons. And then verse 10 informs us that Jacob could not see. So what's going on here? Uh, rather than this be a contradiction, uh, the usage of the same Hebrew word actually gives veracity to the whole situation. Uh, there is a, a variety of specific ways in which that word translated for us here, saw, can be used. Israel saw Joseph's sons in that he looked, he viewed them. His eyes could tell that two people were there along with Joseph. But because his eyes were dim with age, as we're informed in verse 10, he could not see the details. He couldn't see exactly who it was. So he asked. It's a natural question, right? Who's with you? 
Uh, he wasn't too proud to admit his physical deficiencies and ask for help. So he asks, who are these people? Moving on to verse 9. So then Joseph simply and humbly identified them. He wasn't thrown off by the question. This is a reasonable question. You give a polite answer. And so he said, these are my sons given to me by the Lord. Here we see in Joseph, I believe, the same character evident in his father. Jacob earlier, as I emphasize, had identified God as the source of all blessings. Joseph does the same here. God gave me these children. That's really the heart of my favorite response when our family is out and about and some stranger says to me with our nine children, are these all yours? And my first thought actually is, do you think I'm going shopping at Menards with somebody else's children? Um, I guess it is theoretically possible. We could be babysitting, but no, we're not. Uh, so I try to answer in an edifying manner, yes, indeed, God has blessed me. These are God's children, we steward them, etc. if we have more time for a longer answer. But simply put, yes, the Lord gave them all to me, just as Joseph answers here. This, these are the sons that God has given me in this place. Verse 10. Here we see tenderness mixed with purpose, clearly evident. He brought them near. He kissed them. He embraced them which is to say he hugged them. Uh, these forms of endearment are good and godly. It's healthy for a father to express these uh, sentiments to whether it be his own children or to his grandchildren. I can ask Mr. Kirsch out there how it feels to embrace a grandchild now. So he kissed them, he embraced them. Uh, the other day I read to our children, I think it was in our lunchtime Bible reading, Acts 20, or it would have been evening, dinner, uh, where Paul uh, is recorded there as saying goodbye to the elders of the church in Ephesus. They fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, Acts 20. They loved him, right? That's a very natural expression of love. These men showed their love, just as Jacob showed his love for his grandsons. Verse 11 Sweet moment here, uh, sort of a, uh, maybe a bit of a rabbit trail <laughs> the Holy Spirit is recording for us here. But Jacob, being so moved with the emotion of seeing these grandchildren, says that not only had I thought that I would never see you, Joseph, but God has been so kind to give me the bonus extra that he gets to see his grandchildren. Uh, I remember, and so I, the way I worded it here is he's, I think, so... Uh, set on the important task of giving the blessing to these young men that he was overcome with the moment. So he kind of has to reset in his mind for a second. Oh yeah, we're here for the blessing, but let me just say how amazing this is to be here with you. As I was preparing this text, the Lord brought to my mind, uh, it was actually throughout several points in my wedding day where I was thinking, this is 15 years ago, I was thinking, this is me, I'm here. I'm the one getting married, right? This is for real. Look what the Lord has done. Okay, now back to, you know, saying my vows and singing the songs and things. But it's good to be in the moment and to realize God has done a very good and kind thing. So Jacob admits that after Joseph was presumed dead, he was. He had become reconciled to the fact that this side of heaven, he was never going to see Joseph. Yet God granted him not only the pleasure of seeing his son, but even getting to see his grandsons. Indeed, over and over again, if we are looking, 
we will see that God gives us over and above all that we can ask or think, as it's worded in Ephesians 3. Uh, verse 12 then. In verse 12, Joseph began to move his sons to their proper places for the blessing. Kind of just a bit of uh, organizational logistics going on there. In verse 13, uh, this continues the organization preparing for the, uh, the, sorry, the whole idea of a wedding came back to my mind in the moment here. So the wedding planner, getting people in the right spots, right? Uh, put circles on the floor where the right people stand. And so Joseph is getting the people where he thinks they're supposed to be. And there's a reasonable logic to it. Uh, he positioned Manasseh to Jacob's right and Ephraim to his left. This is because tradition was standard practice that the older receives the right hand. So that would have been Manasseh and Ephraim, the younger, being at the patriarch's left hand. Joseph wasn't doing anything wrong here. He wasn't rebelling yet. Indeed, based on his knowledge, he was being helpful, helping his father to do what he figured was the right thing. In verse 14, though, Jacob reveals that he had additional knowledge, and that is a very key word here in verse 14. He guided his hands knowingly when he proceeded to cross his arms and place his right hand on Ephraim and his left hand on Manasseh. He did this not from a lack of knowledge, as if he was making a mistake, his eyes were dim, he couldn't tell which one was which, they were dressed alike, whatever. No, not from a lack of knowledge, but from extra knowledge, extra insight, we might even term it. Uh, this text doesn't explicitly state what facts Jacob knew which directed his action, but the sense is that it was divine knowledge. And if you read a variety of commentators, either it's great minds all think alike, or one wrote it this way and then they copied throughout the generations, but they all write that here Jacob speaks prophetically. And so he, with an eye toward the future that only God can know, because he's being filled with the Holy Spirit for this purpose, he moves his hands in this way. In many cases, God preferred the younger over the elder, and such was the case here. Verse 15, now we come, kind of finally, <laughs> after this double preface, we come to the heart of the chapter, the actual words of the blessing. Let me read that again, verses 15 and 16. And he, that is Jacob, blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Note first that he blessed Joseph. And I have to admit, when I was reading this these past weeks, that really jumped out to me. It's like, wait a second, any blessing Ephraim and Manasseh? But it says here, he blessed Joseph. So he blessed the sons by blessing the father, which shows the continuity throughout the generations. Uh, it speaks in other places of the sons being in the loins of their father, right? We have that continuum of uh, faith and of genetics, of appearance, and different things continue through the generations. So jo Jacob blessed Joseph by blessing his sons. Uh, as a father, I've felt many times that the greatest blessing I can receive is to have my children be walking with the Lord, receiving his blessings of faith and all the fruit that comes from having a lively faith. 
Just as John said, this is from uh, 2 John, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth. So no doubt, Joseph heard these words spoken to his sons, and yes, yes, I am blessed as the father here because my grandfather is blessing my sons that they would have a lively faith. Uh, Note also that Jacob's words of blessing begin with a testimony of the God who is the source of all blessing. Hope you're seeing here the recurring theme here, right? Jacob identifies who God is. He continues to come back and bear testimony to the truth of God and the source that God is of all blessings. So he states it again here. He states it in two ways. One, that he is the God of his fathers, again, that generational faith. Uh, This is a call to Joseph and the grandsons to continue that family heritage. Jacob is saying that God is Abraham's God, God is Isaac's God, God is my Jacob's God, and he must be your God, Joseph, your God, Ephraim and Manasseh. Don't drop the baton. Let us continue this walk. Then Jacob testified to God's continual goodness in his life. Uh, The word translated here, fed, has a sense of shepherding, uh, bringing to pasture, providing food, and really all the necessities of life and godliness that the Lord provides for in his kind care. So the Lord cared for Jacob, brought him into pleasant places, protected him in the whole variety of dangers, and Jacob faced many throughout his life. The Lord abundantly multiplied his material possessions and gave him the joy of seeing his children's children. There's a variety of ways in which the Lord fed Jacob. Verse 16. This begins with another description, and so the verse break here can be interrupting a bit because I see three um, clauses in which Jacob is calling out to God, identifying who he's appealing to for this blessing, right? Verse 15b, he says, God, etc., Uh, 15c, the God who, and then 16a, the angel who. So it's all the same God he's appealing to three times. God, the God, the angel. So the third one here in verse 16. The angel refers to the one who appeared to him in the vision at Bethel. That was recorded in chapter 28. And spoke to him by dream in Padan. That's verse 31. This is the God who he now testifies is the one who redeemed him from all evil. Briefly, that word evil can be taken both as a moral evil, as in redeeming him from his sins, as well as bad circumstances or difficulties. And really the connection there is that because of the fall, we live in a broken world and bad things happen. So yes, his his personal badness, as well as the badness that is around him and has affected him throughout his whole life. That's the evil spoken of. So thus it was God who kept him from Esau's threats who helped him navigate Laban's sketchy business dealings, also the one who granted him his forgiveness of sins. It's not like there's a God of the small stuff and a God of the big stuff. No, there's one God. The God of providence is the God of redemption. He is working all things for our good, right? Those who are called and love him, he's working all things for his own glory. And then finally, We're kind of zeroing in here, step by step on the blessing. Finally, in the last two-thirds of verse 16, we get to the heart of the words of blessing that Jacob pronounced on Joseph by way of the grandchildren. Bless the lads. 
my wife actually in doing some calligraphy has posted that uh, in one of our children's bedrooms. So bless the lads, yes. Uh, general blessing on our children is an appropriate uh, engagement with God's verse here. But how exactly is Jacob imploring God to bless him? And that's the detail that follows in the remainder of verse 16. For Jacob, that is Israel's name to be upon them, is a claim to ownership. Alluded to this before. Just as he asserted earlier when he adopted them. They may live in Egypt. They might even die in Egypt. Likely they did, unless they were away on a trip. You know, all of Israel had not yet left when their lives ran their course. But he wants them to remember, they are not Egyptians. Egypt is not their permanent home. To bear Israel's name is to say that they are to follow Israel's paths and indeed to follow Israel's God, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. Then he prayed for their growth, remembering again the promises that Jacob has so uh, vividly laid claim to and so hopefully looks forward to, two of them, the multitude and the land. So he prays here for their growth into a multitude and their possession of the land. This is for them then to lay claim to these promises, people and land. Jacob took these promises very seriously. He wanted them to take them seriously. He wanted to see them come to pass for both Ephraim and Manasseh. Now we come to the third section, uh, verses 17 to 22. Uh, What follows here is Jacob's explanation of the blessing in response to what I'll call the fix (laughs) that uh, Joseph offers, you know, so kindly, I think I'm doing the best thing here. Father, let me help you. No, Jacob didn't really need assistance, uh, but he very politely uh, informs Joseph. So in terms of this mistake, uh, the text does tell us that Joseph was displeased, that Jacob put his right hand on Manasseh. And I'm going to condense a few things here just to be a little bit more brief. So Joseph uh, didn't just notice the mistake, right? It wasn't just thinking in his mind, I'm not sure if this is the way it's supposed to be. He wasn't also merely simply bothered by it. He was upset. Uh, That's the impetus of the wording here where it says displeased. He was like really agitated. This is not right. This is not going to work. You know, what's going to be the consequences for future generations if the right guy doesn't get the blessing? Uh, So I believe he was a bit bold (laughs) to physically move uh, Jacob's hand. Uh, I do, though, admit, and I shouldn't have said earlier that he did it in rebellion. Uh, more accurate would be to say, I think he did it in ignorance. Well-intentioned, trying to help his father, but in ignorance. He didn't have the same knowledge. Remember, Jacob did it with knowledge. So Joseph didn't have the same knowledge that Jacob did. And so it does seem a bit bold that Joseph even tried to move Jacob's hand. And then he also spoke words of correction. He wasn't going to let it go. He was going to make sure this got done right. No, father, you did it wrong, he says. Clearly, though, Joseph missed the point that Jacob was acting under divine guidance and had done this on purpose. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a failure of information for Jacob. Jacob had said, bless the lads, plural. And so uh, that is an important uh, I think information detail for us to see uh, how it was that Jacob is kind in correcting or really responding to Joseph's correction. Uh, He didn't just really lay into Joseph for being out of line. 
But he also didn't let it go and subtly persist. He firmly stood his ground. Uh, it appears he discerned that Joseph's concern is that Manasseh would not be blessed. That, I think, is the uh, point that Joseph was pursuing. But he really missed some of the key words of the blessing itself. He missed the plural in bless the lads. Right? It's not that Manasseh wasn't going to be blessed. And that's the, the focus of Jacob's correction. He says, I know, I know. Don't worry about Manasseh. He's going to be blessed. Things are going to turn out pretty good for Manasseh, but it's going to be better for Ephraim. It's not zero and five. It's like seven and nine and a half on a 10 scale, right? Uh, Things are going to go well. Bless the lads, plural. Both of them were to be blessed by taking on the name of the patriarchs. Both of them would grow numerically. Both of them would have a portion in the promised land. Yet when pressed... And Jacob here sort of charitably says, let me give you a little bit more information. So he does enlarge it to say that, yes, Manasseh will be great, but Ephraim, he will be greater. The blessing would be true for both, but more true, so to speak, for Ephraim. The truth is that the Lord gives, and this is an application for us, the Lord gives different measures of gifts to different people. Everyone receives gifts. Every Christian receives gifts, right? Both material and spiritual, but not everyone receives the same gifts equally. And we need to be content with that. Joseph needed to be content with that. And there's no evidence that he wasn't. He was glad, thankful for that explanation. Now for a few uh, quick points of emphasis on verses 20, 21, and 22 as we close out this chapter. For verse 20, uh, this is a benediction uh, which concluded the blessing. Just like as we conclude our worship services with a benediction, which is a word of blessing, really a, a sort of condensed capstone of the blessing. Importantly, it contains a blessing that was to continue on in the future. He says, Israel will bless. This is looking to the future. Israel will bless by saying, may God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. Interestingly, though, the scripture record does not contain later instances where this blessing is used. Um, That doesn't mean they didn't. Tradition does say that it was frequently used within Jewish culture, uh, even though it's not in the biblical record. Perhaps it's something we can revive in our greetings, in our prayers for one another. May God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. But if we're going to say that, we really need to answer the question, what's being offered there, right? Is it still relevant for today? What is it we are bestowing on somebody if we were to... uh, Uh, speak this blessing into their lives. I think it simply refers to the last clause of verse 16, to grow numerically and to occupy God's territory. But if we look at that in the larger picture of uh, scripture revelation, we see that there's a material aspect to that and a spiritual aspect to that. Materially, to grow as a clan of God-loving people and then to take dominion of the earth. And then the spiritual aspect is to be part of God's family, the church, and to labor to bring redemption to the creation, which is under the curse, yet is renewed in the gospel, right? 1 Corinthians 15. So brothers and sisters, in Christ, and by his blood, we are brought near to the Father. We're fellow members of God's household, Ephesians 2. Christ is now and presently defeating all of his and our enemies, again, 1 Corinthians 15. He is the Lord over all, and he has sent us to disciple the nations. That is being as Ephraim and Manasseh in the larger sense of the gospel. 
and Christ's ownership of all the nations. Verse 21, this is real briefly, I want to get to the conclusion. Uh, here, Jacob admits, like I'm about to, the end is near. <laughs> Yet his hope does not waver. Uh, he continues to offer encouragement to his son. It would not be in Joseph's lifetime that the Israelites would leave Egypt. Indeed, not until Moses' generation did that happen. But Joseph was, was brought back to Canaan, right? Not lively, not getting to walk on his own feet through Canaan, but it did happen. Uh, his bones were brought back by later generations. That was his request, recorded in Genesis 50. It did come to pass, as is recorded in Joshua 24. So again, Jacob, Israel here, as it's worded, emphasizing, my people, you even specifically, will return out of Egypt. You will get back to the promised land. And then verse 24, briefly. Uh, there's some textual details here that are a bit controversial as to what exactly is being referred to in the last part there when he says, the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. Scripture readers will say, so when was it that Jacob raised his sword and his bow? What is he referring to? Uh, is he being sort of allegorical in referring to uh, the purchase of the land where the, the grave was, uh, the cave? Or is he taking ownership for the battle whereby the Shechemites were defeated after the uh, situation with Dinah? Um, and I agree with a lot of commentators who see both of those as just a little bit stretching it. Uh, he's very critical of what the brothers did to Shechem. And the land uh, there is not Amorite land, it was Hittite land, if I have that right, in terms of where the cave was. And so I think the best solution is he's referring to something that's not recorded in previous history of the Bible. And that's okay. Not every detail is recorded for us as it happens. That's a good thing. Our Bibles would be a lot longer, right? Even in John, it's told, if we were to write down everything that Christ did, <laughs> your library couldn't hold all the books. If it wrote down everything that Jacob did, it would be like another half again, the library. And so we can be content to say, Jacob here is speaking factually. Uh, he's not just spinning a story. Uh, he's mentioning something that hadn't been recorded previously. And then uh, by way of conclusion, thank you for your attention. This was a lot of ground to cover. I thought of breaking it into pieces, but I thought that by doing that, we would lose the greater context. So I wanna pull us back again, step back and see that bigger picture. What are we talking about? Not simply a loving grandfather, though that's part of it, not simply a land promise or a future hope of leaving Egypt or future looking forward to the redemption that is in Christ, the one who is the angel of God, but it is God's blessings. God's word is rich. It has much to be mined. And even as we explored some detail here, uh, some of the attendant applications whereby God's word, Lord willing, is living and active and really working in our lives, probes our hearts, our souls, our actions, our motivations, our desires, our plans, maybe modifying some of our aspirations, let us not lose sight of the overall theme of this passage, which is blessing, right? Blessing. God blesses. He is real, and he is the one who is the source of all blessings. This is how he blessed Jacob. This is how Jacob wants his grandsons to be blessed. This is how we are blessed when we share the faith of Abraham, this is how we are blessed when we are in Christ. So friends, our Lord is so very gracious, so tremendously generous. His blessings are not to be contained, restricted, hid under a basket, so to speak. They're to be shared 
as the gospel spreads and the faith continues from one generation to the next. It is in Christ that all the promises of God are yes and amen. It is in Christ that we have redemption. May God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh, blessed and super blessed. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word, which is rich and so much there for us to ponder, for us to learn from, for us to be conformed to. May you be faithful by your spirit to have our very souls and minds changed today. I pray that you would give opportunity for each person hearing today to reflect on your word later. Uh, And while I have certainly skipped over some details and not exhausted all the applications possible, that you would be faithful, for you are the true shepherd of the people gathered here to hear this text explained. You are the one who can uh, conform to Christ, each one here, from the youngest to the oldest. We pray your blessing then in Jesus' name. Amen.